Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We want to let you know about our new Wired for Greatness online discipleship platform. It equips you to do the work of God in your realm of influence. Check it out at wiredforgreatness.me. Enjoy this podcast. I just like to do these little recaps, okay? I like to recap because I'm a teacher and repetition is a really good idea. It gets things in your head. Last week, my bottom line was this. Resurrection is not an event. It's a... Oh, look at that. I must be doing my job right. That's good. Resurrection is not an event. It's a person who has done events in the past. There was a resurrection event of Jesus, obviously, also of Lazarus, also of the widow's son, also the prophets raised people from the dead, all that. So there's many resurrection events, but there's only one resurrection person. And there's a future resurrection for those who fall asleep in Christ, but resurrection is not an event. It's a person. That was my bottom line. I'm glad you took it away. And we talked about the story of Lazarus. We're actually going to pick up that story in a minute because after he raises Lazarus, the next day he actually enters Jerusalem. The next day is Palm Sunday. Did you know that? Like in the Gospel of John, it puts it together like that, that he raises Lazarus, the hangout of the day. The next day he enters Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday the next day. Pretty cool, I think. I think God is trying to point out something, that this thing is about the resurrection. Come on, why would he raise Lazarus the day before he heads into the city? I mean, it's just a bookend for me, you know? Excuse me. So, today, I need you to, I kind of spilled the beans last week, but I need you to take this away. Christ, when he entered on Palm Sunday, because this is the day he rides in on a donkey, right? Many of you know the story. We're going to read it. If you don't know, it's okay. And there, um, he rides in, and many say he was heading in this Holy Week to his death. I beg to differ. Christ was not headed to his death. He was headed to his resurrection. He was headed to his resurrection. Almost exclusively, every time Jesus mentions his death in the Gospels, of which there are 16 times, he ends the statement with something about him being raised. He completes the phrase or the paragraph with talking about his resurrection. And I am not diminishing the cross. But you have to understand, if you stop at the foot of the cross, your life is going to be really miserable. We got a bunch of Good Friday Christians. We need some third-day Christians. We need some resurrected ones. Not waiting for an event, but living in resurrection power. The cross is a door, if anything. You're supposed to enter in through the veil of his flesh. You're supposed to go through the cross. We got a couple second-day Christians who don't do nothing. You know, they lay in the tomb. They just lay there waiting to be raised. Most of us are, <laughs> sorry, was that too on the nose? Uh, most of us are the first day. You know, we need to get to the third day. That's the point. That's the point. Okay. So I'm going to prove it to you. I have uh, five, the five times Jesus says it in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to read the other 11 references, but I'm going to read you all five of the ones in Matthew. And there's this word that's highlighted on the screen. And whenever I get to that word, I want you to say it out loud with me. Everyone see the, the yellow word? Okay. Here we go. I think he's trying to make a point. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, this is Matthew 16, 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be Raised, right. Matthew 17, 9. As they were coming down the mountain, this is after Jesus was transfigured before their eyes, right? As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is 
raised from the dead. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Is that one up there? Yeah. Anyway, Matthew 20, 18 through 19. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Like this is, come on. He's like trying to make it emphatic. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Last one, Matthew 26, 31 through 32. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. There's 11 other references in the other Gospels, and some of them are a little different of the same thing. So I think it's important that we set our, our perspective, that we understand this story in the context that Jesus wants to understand it in, Right? Not that we would skip over his death, burial, resurrection. I'm not, I'm not saying to skip over any of that. I'm saying we need to hear the points of all that. Because without that, we have it out of, we, we get it out of, uh, out of order, really. Because whatever you make your focus is going to become a priority. So I'm focused on Christ and him crucified. That's true. But Christ and him crucified. Did you hear what comes first? Christ. I'm focused on the living Christ. Who he is, present tense. I'm focused on Christ. He's living and active. He's resurrected. And him crucified. Because the crucifixion was our justification. All of that. Super important. But we're focused on Christ first. Who he is. Because he's alive right now. You guys, I I don't mean to blow your mind too fast here. But there's a man in heaven. There's a man like in heaven. He ascended in his mortal body, the body that took and ate the fish after the resurrection. He ascended in that body. A man entered the heavenly realms and is seated on the throne in a body. This is super important. This is central to what we believe. It is just going to have to believe me. Christ was not headed to his death. He was headed to his resurrection. I want to read to you the rest of the story here. Pick it up in John 12. I'm going to have it all on the screens for you. Don't worry. Uh, This is out of the Passion Translation. And uh, this is, last week we talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is the next day, okay? This is right there. And they were eating, and it says that the rumors spread, and all the Pharisees start freaking out because they're not going to be able to shut down uh, this story, the story, it's, it's not fake news. It's real. He raised from the dead. You know, it's, it's serious, all right? Like, we saw him. We ate with him. He came out of the tomb. You know, he didn't even smell bad. Like, we were there, you know? And here we go, picking up John 12, verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. So they took palm branches, say palm branches, and went out to meet him. Everyone was shouting, Lord, be our Savior. Blessed is the one who comes to us sent from Jehovah God, the King of Israel. Then Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it is your king coming to you riding on a young donkey. Now, there's a lot to say about all this. 
and we could sit on it, but there's actually something specific God showed me last night. I've never heard anyone talk about before, and neither is Jamadi, so I want to get to it. So, yes, the donkey is a picture of humility. We've all heard sermons on that. I'm going to keep going. Are you okay? Okay. There's also a lot of jokes I could make about that. But that'll do, just there. Now Jesus' disciples didn't fully, did anybody catch that? Didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. But after he was raised and exalted into glory, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scriptures that were written about him. So, like, cut these guys some slack. After he was raised, the light turned on. You know, like we're looking back, like how did they not get it? He repeated himself over and over again. Well, my question is, how do you not get it? You know, it's like they have an excuse. Anyway, okay. All right. So all the eyewitnesses of the miracle Jesus performed when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. So you see this scene? It's like this crazy, they're welcoming with palm branches. They're people, did you hear he raised that guy right there? I, I can see like. Lazarus probably joined in the party, like, I'm going with you, like, why not, you know, so, anyway, it's not in the Bible, but that's how it plays in my head, I have a movie in my head, that's what it looks like, yeah, they're spreading the news about Jesus to everyone, the news of this miracle of resurrection caused the crowds to swell as, a, as great numbers of people welcomed him into the city with joy, but the Pharisees were disturbed by this, because the religious spirit's always disturbed by joy, You're having way too much fun in there. You're way too happy about this new life thing. Calm down. Turn the disco ball off. <laughs> the Pharisees were disturbed by this and said to one another, we won't be able to stop this. True statement. You're right. Got it right. <clears throat> the whole truth is going to run after, I'm sorry, the whole world is going to run after him, they continued. Now there were a number of foreigners from among the nations who were worshipers at the feast. They went to Philip, who came from the village of Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Would you take us to see Jesus? We want to see him. So Philip went to find Andrew, and they went to both inform Jesus. I read all that so I can read this. He replied to those guys who were seeking Jesus privately, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because, say because, because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. This is Jesus again saying, knock, knock, knock. I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again. And I love this because it says a single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops to the ground and dies. What's the point? God doesn't want to do this resurrection thing alone. <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm going to do all the heavy lifting, but I get to take a bunch of people with me on the, on the way out. That's the deal. That's the harvest. Absolutely. Christ was not headed to his death. He was headed through his death. To his resurrection. Now here's the thing. Palm branches. You can take that down, Tracy. Uh, the palm branches are, are people have heard, I mean, you probably heard a million things about this, but I found some cool stuff. You want to hear it? It's cool. So these are actually, they're a sign of triumph. For, they were known in the day as a sign of victory, but specific victory. Do you guess which one? It's a sign of victory over death. To wave a palm branch would say, I've got victory over death. 
And resurrection, we learned last week, the word resurrection actually means to stand up again, right? It's not just life, it's overcoming death. It's life that overcomes death, right? So death has to occur in order for resurrection to be a thing, but the resurrection power of God is more than just your life. Life can be taken, resurrection overcomes, right? Resurrection is the one that overcomes. So these palm branches, I love it. They were not just welcoming him, welcoming him as Savior, they were prophesying his resurrection, are we getting the point yet? Lazarus raises from the dead. Everybody sees it. Jesus decides to go to Jerusalem. All the people start talking about him raising Lazarus. Did you hear he raised Lazarus? They're like, get some palm trees. Hmm. Maybe those two things are related. Maybe somebody got it like, this guy, he, he carries victory over death. He carries resurrection power. And then maybe some of the disciples like, yeah, he did talk about raising him from the dead a few times. I mean, is this, did, you know, do the crowds get it more than we get it? What, what's going on here? So I love that this scene is saturated with resurrection metaphors. Are you following me? <laughs> Excuse me. But <clears throat> I was going to stop there. But then I asked the Lord just last night. I'm like, Lord, it feels like there's something really cool that I'm missing about the palm branches, because that's pretty cool, you know, like, that's what they understood it to be, but I, I was asking the Lord for something else, you know, I put Judah to sleep, he was sleeping like a dead man, so I had a lot of resurrection thoughts going on, you know what I mean, anybody, no, okay, he sleeps, he's like, like, he's out, you know, I love it, that's my boy, I'm talking about my son, anyway, one-year-old, it's not weird, um, and so, I looked up the words, I do all my word study stuff, and I, you know, in, it's in the Greek, right? It's in the New Testament, so it's Greek. If you didn't know, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but there's also Aramaic text and things like that. There's some Hebrew text, and there's actually debate about the original version of Matthew being written in Hebrew, if you didn't know that. That's really cool. I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff, but I started thinking to myself, these people, when they're getting palm branches, they wouldn't have said the Greek word like, hey, get a palm branch in Greek. I can't even, I don't even remember what it was. They would have said it in Hebrew or Aramaic. So I looked up the Hebrew word, right? Are you following me? Are you following me? The Hebrew word for palm tree or date tree is really cool. You want to know what it is? I'm going to tell you next week, part three. Of, I'm just joking. I'm kidding. You don't know me enough by now. She like looked really upset. She's like, oh. It's actually Tamar, or you might know it as Tamar. Anybody know who Tamar is? Tamar is the word that means day tree, but Tamar is the name of the first woman listed in the genealogy of Christ in the book of Matthew. Tamar has a very interesting story. So I started looking up, I started reading it again. It's Genesis 38. If you want to check it out later, I'm not going to read it to you. Genesis 38, 12 through 30 specifically, talks about what I'm going to reference. And Tamar was originally married to Judah's firstborn son, okay? And Judah, uh, yeah, he, was, he gave uh, his son Ur to Tamar. Ur died because he was wicked. He actually was put to death, it says, by the Lord, because he was wicked. So... Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke it. I don't know what to do. But he dies. <laughs> you okay? He dies before she's able to have children. 
Okay, so there's a death of her husband before she has any children. She's a widower without children. Now, in the day, that's a big, big deal. That's like a, you are almost cursed. But, like, that's a big black mark. Okay? So, bearing children was a big deal. And it should be, once again, it should be highly revered. And it should be celebrated. I am anti the anti-birther movement. I am. I'm like, you know, that whole thing. You know, there's a whole movement that says you should not have babies. <clears throat> there's a whole movement out there that says we should stop having babies. Yes, stop having babies. There's enough people on the planet. That goes directly against the very first thing God uttered to man. Do you know the first command out of God's mouth to man? Be fruitful and multiply. First thing he chose to say, that's an attack. I'm sorry. It's an antichrist spirit. So I'm, going, I'm coming against it. Yes, I am. So she wanted children, and she went about it the wrong way. Okay, so Tamar actually tricked Judah into having children with her. By dressing up as a prostitute and hiding her face and all that stuff when he was headed on a trip, okay? I'm paraphrasing the whole story, but here's the deal. He, she tricked her father-in-law. Yeah, it's really messy, all right? Read your Bible. It's, it's pretty interesting, all right? So she dresses up as a prostitute, hides her face, tricks Judah, and then takes his staff and his, I think it's a ring and one other thing just to... She's literally jockeying for position. She wants children in the family line, okay? And God let it happen, and she carried the line of Christ by dressing up as a prostitute. Uh-huh. Her son Perez in the book of Ruth is actually noted as an ancestor of King David, so it's fact-checked, all right? In Matthew 1 through 3, it says, uh, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Like, there's a reason it's mentioned. It's crazy. And Perez, the father of Hezron, on and on and on. And Tamar, in this story, her husband dies, she tricks Judah, and she overcomes Judah in a way, but she also overcomes the fact that she does not have children through the work of her own hands. She overcame Judah with deception, and Jesus enters Jerusalem with a bunch of Tamars waving in his face. Get a Tamar, get a Tamar, get a Tamar, grab a Tamar, grab a Tamar. Tamar, 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 Tamar. The lady who deceived Judah slept with her father-in-law as a widow, as a widow. Tamar overcame the death of her husband by deceiving Judah. And let's just stop sidebar here. Maybe you also have experienced the death of a dream or something and you just didn't work out. And you, you overcame that thing as well. And you didn't consult God. or you, you know what I mean? Have you done that? I've done that. Something I really wanted, it didn't happen, so I made it happen. That's Tamar's story. She made it happen. Right? <laughs> this is crazy. I hope somebody gets this. So, Jesus entering into Jerusalem with the palm branches waving at him, to me, says, here's the pure version of overcoming power. Here's the pure version. I'm going to unveil the pure version of what it means to overcome death. Tamar, that bride, overcame death through deception and trickery and the might of her hands. But my bride is going to overcome by my own death. 
My death, my resurrection is going to be the thing that releases the overcoming power to my bride. You're the pure Tamar. You are. Ha, ha, ha. I love it. I love it. You're the bride of Christ. So we're the bride that overcomes actually alongside Christ. I hope this isn't boring you. I hope you're just thinking through it with me. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to understand your faces. The, <laughs> the bride overcomes. We're overcoming alongside him. We're seated in him. You know the language is in him, in heavenly places, not next to, not on the same seat, in the same spot. Seated in Christ. Co-seated. It's soon seated in the Greek. So you're seated in union with Christ, and we're supposed to be in that co-risen, overcoming power, and it should be released through us. And this season gets so hijacked, hijacked by celebrating a historical event that none of this comes to the forefront. So I'm, I'm laboring right now to kind of turn the corner here and put your focus on something. You have the power to overcome living in you right now. Because of the events that we're celebrating, you are invited to overcome everything. Death, hell, and the grave, none of them have the big stick. The devil is not, you should not be intimidated by the devil. The devil is scared of you. He goes around like a roaring lion. You want to know why? Because he's got no teeth. All he can do is roar. Seeking whom he made his power. A lion who's hunting, who's smart, doesn't roar. He goes around like a roaring lion because all he can do is talk. Because if, if, if he snuck up on you and tried to bite, it'd be like a little, you know, like gums. Come on, the devil's been disarmed and defeated, Colossians 2. We call him nubby, disarmed, defeated. He's nubs. He's got a wicked tongue, and that's about it. You overcome that guy by taking a deep breath. You overcome the devil by waking up in the morning. I'm not telling you you need to get it together and, like, work on beating the devil. I'm telling you, you beat him every day. You just don't even pay attention to the fact. It's a default. He's under your feet because he's under Christ's feet. Oh, you're co-risen with him. You're more than an overcomer. Romans 8.37. You're more, some, most, most times it says more than a conqueror, but some translations say more than an overcomer. Resurrection means to overcome death. You're more than an overcomer. Wow. Let me prove to you just a little bit more that these palm trees, palm branches, are a sign of resurrection life. Because as co-risen ones, as resurrected ones, there's actually one other use in the Greek than on Palm Sunday. It's in Revelation 7, verse 9 through 10. Are you guys okay? I know this is a lot of teaching, but I'm taking every opportunity I got. Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, After this, this is John speaking, I looked and behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude so huge that no one could count. Made up of victorious ones, say victorious ones, from every nation, tribe, people, group, and language. <clears throat> Go ahead for me there. They were all in glistening white robes, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with, guess what, palm branches in their hands. 
These are the resurrected ones waving palm branches. They shouted with a passionate voice, salvation belongs to our God seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Come on, why are they waving palm branches around the throne right now? Because it's, a, it's an invitation to get a revelation of the resurrected power, the resurrection power in us. I'm keeping it as simple as possible, and I'm repeating myself a lot because I need you to go home with something. I have resurrection in my veins. You have resurrection in your veins. You see something in front of you, there's no obstacle anymore. There's only opportunity. Obstacles left at the resurrection. All they are are opportunities for the overcoming one to come out of you. All you have to do is believe that God wants you to overcome. This is the problem. Much of the church just wants to survive. God wants the church to win. And the weapons of our warfare are not angry, mean, shouting, sign-waving, saying God hates blanks. The weapons of our warfare are love, joy. If you were happier, the devil would run faster. Peace. If you were more peaceful, less, less chaos would be around you because you would release peace into the atmosphere. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And yet we're just trying to be patient. We're trying to have joy. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Those things come in the package called resurrection life. And here's the newsflash. I need you to get this. Christ was headed to not his death, but to his resurrection and to our resurrection. I've said it multiple times. You were raised with him. I'm not trying to hype you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you. You were raised with him already. You will one day. There's a difference between resurrection and ascension, okay? One day I've, I've ooh, no, Caleb, thank you. I got to check the brakes sometimes with Holy Ghost. Woo! Is my face red? Ah, one day you're going to be ascended. You've already been resurrected. You're going to get ascended. You've been resurrected. That's what you need to understand. We teach this stuff. We talk on Palm Sunday. We teach this stuff as if resurrection is going to happen. It already happened. It already happened. What's going to happen is the ascension. Where we... Mm, how much trouble do I want to get in? Where we meet him together in clouds. Okay, I am going to get in a little trouble. First Thessalonians 4.17 has the statement, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. Hashtag terrible translation if, you, if your Bible says that. There's no the. There's no the. We will be caught up together with him in clouds. There's no declarative article H-O, which is the the word for the in Greek, ho. All right? There is no the. We'll be caught up together with him in clouds. You're not going to be lifted off the earth and float off into heaven. I'm looking at a cloud right now. Have you ever heard of the cloud of witnesses? 
It's not the clouds up there. It's clouds. You heard of a, a cloud of smoke? Yeah? Clouds can be made of anything. It's a multitude. It's a multitude of people. Here's how I can say that. Because if we're getting out of here, and this is all going to burn, Jesus' prayer will never be answered. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth. Heaven is not up there. It's, you're not going. I'm going to write a book one day, and it's going to give me labeled a heretic real quick. It just is. <clears throat> it is, and I'm going to give you the title right now. Because I feel a lot of grace right now on this topic, which I did not expect to talk about today. I don't know. You're all the right people in the room, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Lord have mercy. We are live streaming. I'm going to write a book one day and say, I'm not going to heaven. <clears throat> Let me tell you why. Because... I am going to 217 Hobbs Street later today, our new building, because I'm not there yet. I am going. I am probably going to go to the bathroom later, but I'm not there yet, so I am going. To say I am going to heaven is to say I'm not there yet. Ephesians 2, <laughs> Ephesians 2 somewhere. We've already been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a false paradigm in the church that this is about getting to heaven or go, not going to hell. That's not what it's about. There's no prayer to get to heaven, guys. People say there's only one. There's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and they, 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 they preach it as no one gets to heaven except through Jesus. That's not what he said. No one comes through the Father except through me. A lot of Christians waiting to go to heaven and staying ineffective down here on earth. That's what's going on. <laughs> I don't, I'm like, there's a million things. I, I'm not having a struggle. I'm not wondering what to say. I'm wondering what not to say right now, honestly. <laughs> mm, Holy Ghost. We'll be caught together in clouds with him. In not the clouds up there, clouds. Eight times, actually, in your Bible, people are referenced as clouds. Isaiah 60, ooh, let me look it up. Isaiah 61 or 60. It's actually the inspiration for a tattoo on my arm right here. Jesus has tattoos in the book of Revelation, by the way. A name written on his thigh. Yep. It's true. Look it up. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's inscribed us on his hands. That's right. Oh, Lord, it's Isaiah 60. Yeah, verse 8. Okay. It's first, uh, it, says, it talks about, this is where it says, Arise and shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, addressing the people of God who have received salvation. Nations shall come to your rising. Lift up your eyes and see. All the abundance of the sea will come to you, all this stuff. And then, and then verse 8, it says, Who are these who fly like a cloud? Like doves to their windows. Who are these people who fly like a cloud? Who fly like clouds or like doves to their windows? That's just one 
reference. There's a whole bunch more that I did not prepare because I didn't know I was talking about this. All right? We are the cloud. You're never going to die. You're going to graduate into the cloud. You'll be further clothed in the cloud. Are we going to be, this is my question, okay? This is my question. If heaven has come to earth, then where is heaven? If heaven is, if the mission is heaven to earth, according to Jesus' prayer for us, pray this way, our king, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We all know that prayer. Where is heaven now? <clears throat> yes. Colossians 2 says, the whole fullness of the deity dwells in God bodily, or in Christ bodily. All of God was in Christ. Okay? All of God was in Christ. And it says the heavens cannot contain God in the Old Testament somewhere. So all of God is in Christ, but the heavens can't contain God. So where is heaven? In Christ. In God. Heaven is right here, and it needs to get out there. You want to know how? Love, joy, peace, patience. It starts with you believing heaven is an internal reality. It's not a geographical location. I am like ripping at the seams of like 300 years of teaching in the church right now. Because whatever. Honor is not agreement. We don't have to agree on these things. But listen to me. I believe there will be a last day where the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? I just don't believe in the rapture as you probably do. Because I get raptured every three or four times a month. The word rapture means ecstasy. It means to be caught up in a state of ecstasis, ecstasy. Peter was raptured on the, on the uh, roof of Simon the Tanner. Uh, Simon the Tanner, what the heck? Simon the Tanner. <laughs> Sleep deprivation, man, it'll get you. It said, when he had the vision of the tent, he said, I was, in a, I was in a trance. The word is ecstasis. I was in ecstasis. I was raptured. That's what your Bible should say. Peter was raptured on the roof of Simon the Tanner, and he had a vision. <laughs> uh-huh. Am I bothering you? Is it okay? Christ was not headed to his death. He was headed to release resurrection power so that we could live from heavenly places right now. Not so that we could wait to get there one day. Not, you know, because that whole thing, that whole paradigm, okay, I, I prayed a prayer, and now I'm going to go to heaven one day. It totally cuts the legs out from under you, because now you try to be good until that happens. It makes it, makes it like a goal that you're going to hit. One day, you know, if I'm a good person. The church still talks like that. Like, you would think that we'd be passing. No, no, no. Christians still talk like that. Christians all the time talk like that. If we just got to be good. That totally flies in the face of what grace even is. It's not about your works. It's about his finished work. He did everything necessary for you to be holy. So we're talking about and focusing on things that make us ineffective, cut our legs out from under us, and we wonder why the world is as dark as it is. We wonder why Tampa has number three in human trafficking. We wonder why all this chaos is around us. Because the people with the solution don't believe they have it. If you, if you put the resurrection in the right perspective, you'll start to believe you have the solution to every single problem. 
One of the things, that's, the things that marks my life is hope. My team talks to me about it all the time. Jimmy especially is like, how do you hope so much? I'm like, I can't turn it off. I don't know. I got a lot of hope. I got hope for everything. Like, how are we going to get all the renovations done? I just, I just got hope, you know? I'm kind of like Poppy from that movie Trolls. I just have this hope thing that just, I can't turn it off, you know? How are you always so hopeful? I don't know. It just, I have hope. It's because I believe I carry the solution. I do. Yeah, I have moments of anxiety. Yeah, I have moments of confusion, stress. I'm in one of them right now. <laughs> okay. Because I don't know if we're even going to have people next week after the way I'm talking right now, you know. <laughs> Whatever. But I have this thing in me that I see a problem and it, and it looks like fun. It's like, oh, cool. God's going to do something awesome, and I get to be a part of it. That's where we're at. I'm going to read you one more scripture, and then we're going to have some proof of resurrection power in a minute with our restoration team. It's going to be great. But Hebrews 12.2 says, We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus, who birthed faith in us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted or raised at the right hand of the throne of God. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing you would be his, joy of knowing you would be raised with him, And seated with him. Because of that, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why he did it. That's the point. Christ was not headed to his death. He was headed to his resurrection. And may God give us a revelation of the resurrection that already occurred in us. Amen? And so part of that is demonstration. You got to be able to demonstrate it. Sandy's saying yes because she preached a few weeks ago and said, one of my favorite one-liners ever come out of this house, we can't have resurrection power and not use it. Can't say we have it and not use it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We want to let you know about our new Wired for Greatness online discipleship platform. It equips you to do the work of God in your realm of influence. Check it out at wiredforgreatness.me. Enjoy this podcast.